an important fundraiser is taking place this Saturday with Liberty and Prosperity, where Seth is the founder and the executive director, uh, guest speaker, Craig Calloway. So we'll probably uh, give uh, ask Seth a question or two about that. Uh, I would have kept him as a speaker if I had a vote. I know people are like flipping out. Oh, uh, but people going, oh, Craig shouldn't be allowed to speak. Uh, so I would I would have voted to let him speak. And uh, it, it, and I know that Seth's organization did because Craig is still the speaker. Anyhow, a lot to unpack. Let's get to it. Let's do it in that order, Seth. Uh, first, your deportation speech. What was that all about? Well, I spoke at, at what's called the uh, Faith and Freedom Coalition, which was a familiar group. They started as what was called the Greenwich Tea Party back uh, 2009, 2010, when they used to have about 400 people uh, at the Greens Hall in Elmer. Uh, now it was a little discouraging. The group's down to about maybe 60 or 70 people in Sharptown. So I had a long drive back from Route 40. That's right, halfway where Sharptown, halfway between Woodstown and Caltown, for those uh, who want to know on Route 40. There you go. Uh, but, 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 but what I have been talking about with the uh, mass immigration uh, that we've had uh, and the need for mass deportations is something that Americans are really not willing to accept. And that's why I, we, we met at the Methodist Church in Sharptown, uh, and I went through the whole uh, history of how we got to this mass immigration in the first place, both legal and illegal. And even though I, I talk about this on the radio a lot, even though I talk about it uh, at our breakfast meetings, and even though, by the way, it's all posted on our libertyandprosperity.com website, we have a post that America's survival depends on mass deportations now. Um, so, uh, so I invite your listeners to go through all the reasons for it and all the difficulties we face. But if I could just run down, uh, I guess for the first half of the hour uh, that I have left, uh, the points I brought up. Yeah. Number one, uh, America never had the mass immigration we had today. People talk about the immigration laws with our founding fathers. You see, we never needed limits on immigration before the Civil War, and we didn't have any because the technology was a limit on immigration. You could only get here on slow, leaky wooden sailboats. So there were, there were limits of how many people could come here. But after the Civil War, when uh, fast steamships were invented and we had millions of people coming here for 50 years after the Civil War, all Americans realized it was not sustainable, that we had to put limits on immigration. And finally, by 1920, we did it. And we limited immigration to 100,000 per year, which created the, the greatest boom that America ever had in so many reasons. Uh, in 1920, when we put those limits on immigration, it created a shortage of unskilled labor. Until that time, we had low wages, we had strikes, we had riots, we have talk of revolution in America. As soon as we put those limits on immigration, American industry invented machines that made American workers the most productive in the world. So that's when we had the big wage increases. We had the move to the suburbs. We had the mass production of the automobile. We had the appliances that liberated women. Uh, we talk a lot about the women getting the right to vote in 1920. 
But what really liberated women were the um, frozen food and the refrigerator and the modern appliances and the, and the ready-made clothing. Women didn't have to make the clothing for the household anymore. They could just go to a store and buy it. And, and so we became the pros- most prosperous nation in the world. And by the way, even though I, I have a lot of union friends, the unions had nothing to do with this. Uh, in 1920, American labor unions were very weak, very ineffective. All this wealth took place because of the productivity that was forced on American industry by the limits on immigration. Uh, the other thing I mentioned that America was never multicultural. Uh, and I know the experience from my own family. The, every penny, every nickel, every quarter you had had the words e pluribus unum on them. That meant out of many comes one. We had American culture. And in my own family, uh, my great-grandmother came here with a dollar bill clutched you know, in her hand. That's the family story. Not because they wanted a dollar, but because it had the picture of George Washington on that piece of paper. And even though my uh, grandparents and great-grandparents had no – I didn't speak English. They didn't you know, know anything about the Constitution, but they knew this was a new and special free country, and they wanted to be a part of it. And uh, my grandmother was called Basha. Her sister was called Sprintza and, and Kata. Uh, she, they told me that as soon as they came back after a couple of weeks in public school, um, the mother said, well, Basha, how was school today? She says, no, I'm Betty now. I'm, I'm an American. We're all Americans now. They all spoke English. So we came from different places, but everybody wanted to be part of the American dream. Uh, my dad, you know, nobody played soccer here. You played baseball. Why do you play baseball? Because baseball was not played in any other country in the world at the time. Everyone went out of their way to become an American. And so, um, you know, that was basic part of our immigration policy. Very interesting. You said something before the, um, the, the content that you just shared about yesterday's speech, Seth. And those just joining us, Seth Grossman is our guest this hour. And he's talking about uh, deportation, which is something that we have been very aggressive on this program to say that this is unsustainable and that you know giving people uh pieces of paper that say come back in two three five eight years for your court date that this is just it's obscene it's absurd and that we're not investigating the people and that we've let gang members in we've left we've have let terrorists in uh supposedly tens of thousands of chinese are now getting in, so you know that China is sending people uh, to infiltrate infiltrate America. So this is really serious business, as you know, Seth. But you mentioned that the American people aren't ready for mass deportation. Is it your considered opinion that the will of the American people is that, well, we're against this in the first place, but once they're here, we're against sending them out of here? Is that your contention? Well, it, it, it seems to be, and, and I think uh, I had a transforming effect on many of the people who were there because nobody realized how serious uh, this problem is. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, I have no problem. You know, you know, they shouldn't come here illegally, um, but if they come here legally, uh, it's going to be just like my grandparents, so everything's going to be okay. Wow. And, and the message is, it's not okay. No. And I just want to bring up a couple of points. When we come back, hold those points. Seth Grossman, former Atlantic City Councilman, 6th Ward, I believe, former Atlanta County Freeholder before they became the uh, Board of Commissioners, and founder and executive director of Liberty and Prosperity. 
And if you're just joining the program, Seth is talking about deportation. If you missed the first segment, when the podcast gets uploaded later today, check it out. It was very listenable. Seth, I know you wanted to continue. Please do so. And, I, and of course, I was an at-large councilman re- uh, representing the sorry. entire city. All right, fair enough. You did live in the sixth ward, I think, is what fooled me. <laughs> yes, yes. But um, you know, before we could fi- fix the problem or decide how to fix the problem, the first obstacle is to explain why you have to fix a problem. And the key to America's immigration problem is the numbers. Uh, we went off track in 1965 when Ted Kennedy uh, got rid of the 100,000 limit on immigration per year, made it 400,000, and then after the 400,000, then we had all sorts of exceptions for hurricane relief and emergency relief, and uh, then we had millions of illegals that were tolerated uh, that really exploded after Ronald Reagan gave uh, amnesty to uh, six or seven million illegal immigrants in uh, in, in 1986, so the word went out that just get to the country, you'll never be deported, and, and that's where the problem is. So we have a lot of emotional things, like I'm Jewish, and a lot of people say, well, how could you possibly want to deport people? Um, you know, ha- look, look what, what happened to the Jews in, in 1930. And, and the fact is that the immigration law did not keep Jews from fleeing Nazi Germany. Uh, there were plenty of openings in the immigration quotas uh, that would have allowed thousands of Jews to come to America, but they were kept out because Franklin Roosevelt had a bunch of anti-Semites running the uh, immigration department of, of the State Department at the time. And I don't know if you ever heard of a book called uh, the, In the Garden of Beasts by uh, Eric Larson, but there's actually an Atlantic City connection. Wow. The head of the immigration service under Franklin Roosevelt liked to come to Atlantic City on his vacations. And he wrote in his diary in 1934 that when he stayed at the Claridge Hotel in Atlantic City, he was disgusted that there were so many Jews in the dining room. So he immediately checked out of the Claridge Hotel and went into the, uh, the Dennis Hotel where he said, thank God uh, there are no Jews allowed here. This was the guy who was handling the, uh, the decided which Jews were allowed to uh, escape from Nazi Germany. So it wasn't that the immigration laws kept the Jews out of America in that terrible time. It was anti-Semites in the uh, administration of Franklin Roosevelt. How about that? Wow. Interesting. And, and, uh, and the other thing, the Statue of Liberty in New York was not built to welcome immigrants and refugees. Uh, the, the, the poem by M. Lazarus was added years later, but the official name of the Statue of Liberty is called Liberty Enlightening the World. It was a gift from the people of France who were grateful that America had been so successful in building a democracy that protected individual rights and that freed slaves uh, and brought prosperity to so many people. So it was built as a monument to show that you, you didn't have to come to America to live the American dream. All you had to do was adopt America's culture of uh, liberty, limited government, constitution, uh, our Judeo-Christian values. And you'll notice that the Statue of Liberty is holding a, a, a torch to light up the world in one hand. And the other hand, she's holding um, a scroll that says July 4th, 1776 on it, our Declaration of Independence that said, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We're all created um, equal with uh, and endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. 
all that stuff is, is what we are to teach the world, not to say that if you want a better life, you have to come here. Anyone in the world could have a better life just by embracing the ideas and the type of government and culture that we have. That's the message of the Statue of Liberty. Mm. Very good. So, so anyway, in the, in the final three minutes, I hope people, uh, whatever I don't get to, it's posted in libertyandprosperity.com under the, uh, the blog that says American Survival depends on uh, mass deportations. And just to give you an idea of where we stand right now, uh, in 2020, 44 million or 13% of our population was foreign born. That's the highest number of foreign born in American history. It does not include the 20 to 30 million uh, illegal migrants that, uh, that came here since then and weren't counted or the 8 million illegal migrants uh, since Biden came here. They're not migrants, they're invaders. Uh, they're gonna change our lifestyle and uh, it's not sustainable. And if you wanna know what your children, and this is what really uh, hit home with the group I spoke to last night. Uh, think of your children and grandchildren, what it's gonna be like for them to be minorities in their own country. Think of the whites in South Africa, think of the French in Algeria, think of the Christians in Lebanon. Uh, so uh, that's what their life is going to be. Uh, there's, you could see how much discrimination there is against white males in this country right now as a majority. Imagine if we're a minority. And, and when I said 13.5% of our population is foreign born, um, well, actually more than that because of the millions who came afterwards, if you go by age, it's about 20 to 25% of our population under the age of 50 is foreign born. So stopping this mass uh, immigration is not enough. We have to reverse what was done for the past 20 years. Um, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You can't deport uh, 30 or 40 or 50 million people, but you can deport the people who just came in the last five to 10 years. And uh, it's gonna be ugly business. There are gonna be uh, videos on TV news of screaming children and crying wives and people who said, we just want a better life for ourselves. But if you, uh, what, what it means is uh, if, if you're saying, I don't want to be cruel to these people, you're saying, I'm going to be cruel to my children, my grandchildren, my nieces and nephew. Uh, my parents and grandparents gave me this wonderful country, but I'm going to destroy any chance for of my children enjoying the America I enjoyed. And what's also very important, and I know you know this, Seth, I want to just reemphasize it to our listeners. These folks that are coming here illegally, they are not being investigated the way that we do those who are coming to the country the legal way, applying for citizenship, working, having to leave and go back to their home country, coming back, in many cases, as you know, taking seven years, even longer. I know someone very, very good American. It took him 10 years because the government messed up at the very end and it didn't matter. They messed up. He had to start over again. So doing it the right way means we investigate the people uh, and it's tough business even then, but at least we do the due diligence here within three days of them coming to the country. They are released into the country with a notice that their next hearing is two, three, even five or more years later. We can't do that anymore, Seth. And, and, and we can enforce because everyone, uh, uh, everyone who's illegal, sooner or later they'll get a traffic ticket, 
Sooner or later, uh, they'll need a welfare payment. They'll put the kids, kids in school. They'll uh, have to go to a hospital. You know, it's not like we have to have uh, police banging on people's doors to enforce the law. Once we systematically start detaining and deporting illegals and making them show up at the hearings every time they have any contact with any government official, it will happen. And again, uh, Eisenhower deported about 1.5 million Mexicans in the 1950s with only, I think, 857 border agents because there was the full cooperation of a state and local law enforcement and every single government agency. So, it And as you know, we don't have that now. They tell them not even to talk to ICE and not to talk to law enforcement. It's, it's an abomination. Well, this Saturday at 930, uh, com is having our yearly February fundraiser. It'll be at Josie Kelly's in Summers Point. They always do a nice uh, Irish breakfast. Uh, tickets are $75. This is the money that gets us to September uh, when we have our second fundraiser for the Richard Summers event. Uh, and if you can't come to the event, uh, we invite people to become supporting members for just $30 uh, for the year. Uh, you can either send a check to our office, uh, which used to be my law office at 453 Shore Road in Summers Point. You can pay online at the website. We have a donate tab. And based on the amount uh, you donate, we'll know whether you're buying a ticket or, or paying for a membership. And uh, we, uh, we we have room for about 150. We have about 50 or 60 tickets sold. So uh, a lot of people wait to the last minute. We And certainly you could pay at the door. But just so everybody has enough food, we encourage people to uh, pay early uh, and sign up if they can. And it's going to be a, a very interesting uh, presentation and we always have an interesting presentation. Uh, we had Jack Cittarelli in 2017 before anyone down here knew about him. We had Trevor Loudon from New Zealand uh, came to see us. We had Michael Cutler, who was a, uh, a colleague of uh, Stephen Miller, uh, who was an expert on immigration, warning us about the dangers of massive legal and illegal immigration back in 2012. So we've had uh, a lot of uh, interesting speakers Sort of cutting-edge speakers, and of course, this year our speaker is Craig Calloway. Now, why, why Craig Calloway? Well, because uh, this is a presidential election year, and all of our members, in fact, most Republicans, most conservatives, remember very well election night of 2020. When uh, you're looking at the results, and uh, Republican uh, Donald Trump is seems to be comfortably ahead uh in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, and Michigan, three key states he carried in 2016. Uh, and then uh, suddenly uh, his lead starts to diminish. Then they stop counting. And then they start counting the next day. And uh, by the afternoon or the, uh, the day after that, uh, Trump lost all those three states as well as uh, Georgia and Arizona. And of course, uh, most uh, conservatives were shocked uh, by what had happened, and uh, all sorts of uh, experts talked about uh, the stolen election and all, all these bad things that happened. But if you were from Atlantic City, all of this sounded like deja vu all over again. Um, we always said what happens to America happens to Atlantic City first. And anyone who remembers the 2001 election when Lorenzo Langford ran against Jim Whalen, it was the identical situation where Jim Whalen was leading uh, by, I believe, uh, more than 100 votes on election night, and then they stopped counting. 
and then they started counting the next day, uh, and they were counting, I guess, 15 or 1,800 uh, mail-in ballots and messenger ballots, most of which had been brought in by Craig Calloway. And uh, a week later, uh, Lorenzo Langford was declared the winner based on getting an overwhelming majority of those ballots brought in by Craig Calloway. And basically, that set the tone for almost every election we've had in Atlantic City ever since, that you don't expect results. Seth, did you uh, receive, I think I know the answer to this, I'm laughing, it's not really funny. Did you receive any blowback? Uh, I mean, it was announced before uh, Craig's arrest by the FBI. Did you get any blowback that, that you should uninvite Craig Calloway, that he should not be allowed to be the speaker? How did all that unfold? Well, sure, I received a lot of blowback, and I didn't even know if Craig Calloway would want to uh, uh, appear. But uh, I guess the evening of the indictment, he made a point of calling me and said, uh, you know, I don't want to disclose any details, but he said, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, I don't want to use the the, the word, he he, he disparaged the the charges, and he said, I'll be proud to be there. I want to tell the story, and and he's going to be there. Now, obviously... Uh, he's not going to talk about details of a case, but he will talk about the the general framework uh, as to why he was targeted. Uh, I mean, as a lawyer, I could. Uh, but so, but to answer your question, yes, there was blowback, and I, I was really uncertain how our members would react. Uh, that Saturday morning, when I walked into our Liberty and Prosperity meeting, you know, because <laughs> it was in a way it was my idea. Uh, to who first suggested Craig. So I thought I might be invited out of the meeting as well as Craig, but uh, it was really unanimous. The club said, no, we want to hear what Craig Calloway has to say. It's vitally important. And uh, one of our uh, most conservative members said, you know, uh, uh, General Patton was a great general because he read Rommel's book. And how could we be good generals to, to help conservatives win election if we don't see uh, how uh, Democrats uh, win elections. And, of course, uh, Craig Calloway is a lot more complicated than, than Democrats. We decided to keep him. And, of course, uh, you know, you had the Jesse Waters uh, uh, program uh, on Fox two nights ago. Uh, and, and I think that's even more reason to want to compare how media that's far away from a situation presents something. And when you have the details of the actual local facts, from someone who is there firsthand. So uh, it was discouraging, but then I think everybody dug in and everybody is really proud that I think once again, uh, Liberty and Prosperity and Atlantic City uh, are, are really leading the nation in showing uh, what the real problem with elections are and how to fix them. So anyone who would like to join us to hear Craig Calloway uh, on Saturday, uh, it's going to be 930 uh, to 11 o'clock at Josie Kelly's in Summers Point. You can buy your tickets at the door. Uh, I'm sure we'll have room, but uh, we encourage you to uh, pay online or drop the check off at our Summers Point office. All that listed, libertyandprosperity.com. But my final comments for, the, I guess, the last five minutes is to say that the problem we're having with elections uh, is bigger than Craig Calloway, and it didn't start uh, with Trump. It didn't start with Biden. It really started when Ronald Reagan uh, was elected in 1980. Because until Ronald Reagan was elected, uh, Jimmy Carter was president, all the radicals that were going to do all this woke stuff to tear America p- apart, uh, you know, the Chicago Seven, 
the yippies, the hippies, you know, all that, uh, the, the weather underground, Bernadine Dorn, Bill Ayers, all those folks uh, thought they uh, had it made when they when Jimmy Carter got elected, because even though he was uh, appeared to be a moderate, he created a, a federal department of education. Uh, all these radicals were embedded in our education system, and they really thought that all the stuff that's been happening under Obama for the past 10 or 12 years, they thought was going to happen in the 1980s, 1990s. But they were shocked when Ronald Reagan won that election. So they were determined to make sure that uh, they would change the election system so that uh, a Republican like Reagan can never win again. And that's when they, they, they came up with this big lie. They said um, American democracy is a failure because we have low turnout. We've got to get more people uh, participating in our democracy uh, or it's not legitimate. And, and so what they did is they started to change all the election laws. Instead of having election on one day, uh, first they said, we'll open the polls an hour earlier at 6 in the morning and we'll keep them open an hour later. Uh, and, and then we'll have um, mail-in ballots and messenger ballots. And, um, and we're not even going to let the word uh, mentally incompetent be used in the language of the New Jersey laws anymore. Uh, uh, we're going to call them incapacitated. We're going to make it easier for people who are sick, uh, people who are drunk, people who are uh, strung out on drugs. Uh, we don't want to have them have to come to the polls because most of them don't come to a, a voting poll. So that's what they did. They, they fooled Republicans into going along with what was called the Help America Vote Act of 2001. And this whole mess to, to build up the turnout uh, really changed our election process. Now, when we had a, what was called a low turnout, it was actually a good thing. It meant that people who were too sick, too drunk, too out of it, too drugged out, people who didn't speak English, people who hated the country, people who didn't want any involvement – they would not go in person to vote. And, the, and elections were dominated by people who were informed, who had an interest, who paid taxes, who had a job, who really cared about the voting process. So what you did uh, by changing all these rules, you added about uh, 5 to 10 percent of uh, the voters uh, are now determining elections, except they're not determining elections. The people determine elections are so, the so-called harvesters who go out in the street and, uh, and get them to fill out forms. Now, is there fraud? There probably is fraud. Is there intimidation? What you have done, we had a, a system for 300 years that elections were a sacred process. They took place in a polling place that was supervised by both parties, supervised by government officials, no electioneering at the polls, no one allowed to intimidate people at the polls, no one allowed to bribe people at the polls, and suddenly now, Every kitchen table is a polling place for about one-fourth or one-third of the people who vote. So that's the corrupt process that we have right now. And uh, the ballot harvesters, you could, you could attack them, you could call them criminals, but they're really uh, almost like tax attorneys. You know, people say, oh, look at those, uh, those shyster lawyers taking advantage of all those loopholes. Well, guess what? Those loopholes were created by people who have an agenda. And our, our crazy election laws were invented to advance a certain agenda. And I suspect that Craig Calloway's real crime, because whenever you're dealing with these, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh said they were low, like low information voters. Mm -hmm. The voters I'm talking about are below low information voters. They're like no information voters. Um, but yet you have these ballot harvesters 
uh, are trained to get them to vote in higher numbers than people who are informed. And that's what's turning the elections. And I suspect Craig Calloway's real crime is to use those ballot harvesting techniques perfected by Democrats and use them to help elect Republican uh, Jeff Van Drew after he switched parties. So uh, that's what we'll be talking about at our fundraiser. And really, Harry, thank you so much for your financial support and for giving me the opportunity to present uh, uh, the views of our uh, of libertyandprosperity.com this morning. It's our pleasure and uh, good wishes for Saturday and beyond. Seth, have a good day.